I'm Peter Bonner McNess, and he is Chris Lang, and welcome to another of these regular property briefings. And a warm welcome to you, Chris. Well, once again, it's a pleasure to be here. In various podcasts over the years, you've been providing our listeners with some really good tips on how to conduct successful negotiations. But I suspect not every negotiation will always get a plan. What might some of the reasons for that be? Well, look, as you can appreciate it, there's going to be countless reasons why a negotiation might fail. And therefore, you shouldn't beat yourself up over that. But what I hope to cover today is some of the key reasons. And just simply by knowing them, means you can identify them, address them, anticipate them and hopefully have a greater success rate. But you understand I'm not going to cover every possible reason. It's it's not an exhaustive list today, but it should serve to help you just be aware in advance of some of the issues. And you know, probably the principal one is that Most negotiators seem to operate on a win-lose basis. In other words, there's only a limited amount out there and you need as much as possible of the pie to justify your position. And that's what I call fixed pie thinking. And negotiation, or if you negotiate like this, you generally will fail more often than not because each party assumes that there is only a fixed amount to be divided up. And in order for one party to win, the other party has to lose. Now, to overcome this outcome, you need to start looking for acceptable trades which allow you to expand the original pie. I mean, you always start out with the first best solution but you have to be prepared to understand that there is a second best solution or a third best before you get to your walk-away position. And so it's the ability to trade. And as I've said, look, people have agendas, but your agenda and their agenda, in all my time, I've never seen identical agendas in a negotiation. Yes, there might be one or two or three items common to them, but they're, they're always in a different order so of importance. So you need to start to introduce ideas, options, alternatives to enable you to both achieve what you're after so that you don't walk away feeling bad when you may well have been able to, you know, reach an agreement. So using that fixed pie thinking is probably the main reason why most negotiations fail. You've often talked about the need to do your homework are there some people who simply tries to wing it? Well, actually they do, and clearly it's a common problem. And it happens when you haven't really properly settled on your objectives and priorities. I mean, you've got to know your facts and figures and get them straight. I mean, you can't go in there disorganised as far as your finance is concerned. I mean, basic things that you'll need to get in order to put a deal together. And if you're not fully prepared, then you'll simply end up resorting to demands 
and ultimatums, which then sets you on a pathway to failure. So, yes, you do have to do your prep work. It's not necessarily all that involved, but you just have to have everything nailed down, sorted out, and have it at your fingertips, the aspects on your side of the negotiation, so that you are able to think on your feet during the course of the negotiation. Do some negotiators set out with unreasonable expectations? Yeah, look, I think some people do set out. I mean, they're just too greedy up front, you know, and it's another reason for the basic error. They're expecting that you'll end up too demanding. I mean, Donald Trump talks a bit in the art of the deal that you start high and then keep persistent until you get what you want. Well, you know, there's got to be a compromise. You've got to expect that you're going to end up in the middle ground. And more often than not, the other party, if you do start out that way, will adopt a hard line and you just get to a standoff position. However, when you're at the end, on the other end of an extreme demand, simply ask the other party how they justify their position. Now, invariably, if they have to talk about it, it exposes that it's rather ridiculous, even to them. And you can then start to move forwards towards a more productive outcome. And on the other hand, if you pitch your initial offer too close to what you think the other party will settle for, fine, you might be giving away far too much too early. So you've just got to strike a balance between what is a a reasonable starting point, where you want to end up, and then be prepared to trade concessions. You know, the things that you've perceived are important to them but aren't actually very high on your agenda. So by giving them away and always trade, you know, if, if they're asking you for a concession, always trade it for a concession on their part. You never concede anything without getting a corresponding concession on their part. Why is a win-win outcome important? Winning by itself can be your greatest enemy. I mean, if you set out there that you have to win, then you can unwittingly place so much emotional investment into winning that you actually find out it's impossible to negotiate. So you need to just slow down, take stock and evaluate the costs and benefits of continuing with that position. And you've got to remember, negotiating is not a contest. What you're trying to do is explore creative ways and approaches to make the deal better for both parties. If you try and screw the other party, and you've got to remember, if you're a professional investor, you're likely to want to go back to and may well have to deal with again the same people because it's the agents representing vendors. The vendor might change, but you need to get back to the same agent. Now, if you've screwed on a previous deal where you've, as I said, been bent out of shape over winning, they remember that. You might get away with it the first time, but the second time they're on their guard. And so you've got to walk away from a deal where everyone feels that they have got the best deal for themselves that's possible. 
And sometimes I find you've got to engineer it so the other party feels they've got the best deal so that if I'm acting for a client, I reluctantly give a little bit at their very end and it's still well within what my client, the limits they're prepared to go to, but I give the impression that they've extracted the last dollar. So they feel they've won, even if it's only the last point in the negotiation, but they've won something that's important to them. And so that vendor and their agent can walk away feeling that they extracted something from the deal that they may not have otherwise achieved. We're comfortable because we've got the deal we wanted and everyone walks away feeling comfortable. How do you overcome buyer's remorse? Look, it's only human nature, but whenever you make a purchase, whether it's a property or a television set or a piece of furniture, whatever, you'll always have a slight feeling afterwards as to whether you've done the right thing. Have you really obtained the best deal? The way you overcome that is by doing your homework beforehand. And you simply need to have a prep sheet, which is part of my negotiating masterclass. It helps you to understand the things you need to look at, know what market value is, how far you can go, and gather as much information as you can about the other party's position. As I say, you'll be surprised how much, before you formally begin the negotiation, how much information you can extract, either from the vendor directly or through their agent, just casually chatting, and there's no threat because you haven't actually started negotiating yet. And then, when you reach an agreement, you'll know for sure that you've done a good deal. And then there will be no buyer's remorse. And likewise, it's helping the other side understand that they've reached a good deal as well. And that's probably going back to the win-win situation. And that's part of the reason why to avoid uh, deals falling apart is that I end up the negotiation by formalising it in a heads of agreement and getting the vendor to sign off on it. So even if they want to backtrack afterwards because they feel they mightn't have done as good deal as they originally anticipated, I can then produce that, and that's what they're bound by. I don't know about our listeners, but I certainly found that interesting. Well, look, it's probably nothing that we've covered today that most people wouldn't already know. But sometimes you really just need to remind yourself of the basics. You're right. And I think it was very helpful. And so, Chris, till next time. Yeah, and I look forward to it.